Has anybody had a vacuum cleaner salesman in the last 20 years at all? You don't ever see that. This guy, he was in his early 20s, this is 98, 99, and there was a vacuum cleaner that he was just convinced was the best thing in the world. And, and I'm like, he was convinced. I think it may have been Electrolux or something. I don't know what it was. But he's telling me about it. Next thing you know, he's in my house. And he's telling me, and he's showing me stuff, and he is excited about this thing. And uh, he's telling me how it's got this guard around it to where when you bump corners, it doesn't leave a black mark because it's a white guard. And, and how that you take this thing out, and you can clean it out fast, and it's this swirly style of suction and all kinds of cool stuff. And I'm like, man, that is really cool. That is so cool. And he's like, and it's kind of like, and it's so, it kind of comes down to the point of, so what hinders you from buying this? You know? And I'm like, this is the best, and I was being ginned, this is the best vacuum cleaner I had ever seen in my life. I can't buy that. I can't spend whatever it was, three or $400 for it. And you're in the wrong neighborhood, you know, at the wrong house and at the time. And, and, but I was like, I, I commend you. That's great, man. I'm just sorry. And he didn't, he didn't throw a pitch of fit and say, you know, you know, some salesman, if you're not going to buy, yeah, you're not going to be your friend. Bye. You know, he was very, he was genuine and all right, well, thanks for giving me your time and all this. He was actually, I got to know him. Like he was, he was actually the son of, uh, I think it was even Baptist missionaries, um, uh, and he told about how he grew up on the mission field for a little bit, too, so he had a little connection there. But I just felt like, man, he left. I thought, man, I, don't, I still feel like I just should buy this thing, but I just can't justify it with the money. He was so, here's the point, he was very, very compelling. That's my point. Very compelling and in a genuine way. That's the whole thought tonight is, is how to be genuinely compelling. So let's look at Luke 14. We're going to look, about, look at that, a parable that Jesus told um, about the need to compel people to a feast. And the feast represents Him. He is the great feast for the soul. And people, don't, people need to be told about it and compelled to come to Him. And so Jesus tells this parable, Luke 14. I'll try, we'll read it. I'll try to give you a quick review of the parable itself. And then we'll answer the question, how can I be genuinely compelling to other people as it relates to the gospel? All right, Luke 14, Luke 14, look at verses 15 to 24. And when one of them that sat at meat with him heard these things, he said unto him, Blessed is he that shall eat bread in the kingdom of God. Then he said, that is Jesus, replied unto him, A certain man made a great supper and bade many. And sent his servant at supper time to say to them that were bidden, Come, for all things are now ready. And they all, with one consent, began to make excuse. The first said unto him, I have bought a piece of, land, a piece of ground, and I must needs go and see it. I pray thee, have me excused. And another said, I have bought five yoke of oxen, and I go to prove them. I pray thee, have me excused. And another said, I have married a wife, and therefore I cannot come. So that servant came and showed his Lord these things. Then the master of the house, being angry, said to his servant, Go out quickly into the streets and lanes of the city, and bring in hither the poor, and the maimed, and the halt, and the blind. And the servant said, Lord, it is done. 
as thou hast commanded. And yet there is room. And the Lord said unto the servant, Go out into the highways and hedges and compel them to come in, that my house may be filled. For I say unto you that, the, that none of those men which were bidden shall taste of my supper. So here's the parable. Let's recount this parable. We'll tell it. We'll tell you the kind of the, what each segment represents. Jesus tells the parable of a man who has this great supper. And he invites people. He had somebody, apparently these people were already told ahead of time, hey, there's a great supper. Come to this supper. So, um, so they had the supper ready. He tells the servants, okay, go tell the people that I sent the invitation to. Go ahead and notify them. Okay, it's ready. Come on over. So the servants go out and they tell the people that were invited to the supper, it's ready. And the people that were already invited all of a sudden have an excuse. Ah, oh, you know, I bought a piece of land and I haven't seen it yet. I need to go look at it. Well, that was dumb. Either you're lying or you're dumb. Ah, um, oh, I bought five yoke of oxen and I need to go test them out. Again, that was dumb or you're lying. Then the third type of excuse is, I got married and so I can't, I can't do anything now. Can't you see the chain about my neck or in my nose ring? You know. And again, he's either lying or he's kind of dumb or he just needs to, he hasn't really told his wife and his wife would probably like to go to the supper. And for some reason, he's just not going. So these people have unexcusable excuses. And so the servant comes back and says, this is what they said. That excuse, that excuse, and the master's like, he was angry, you know, because they were forewarned, and then on top of that, they have it just unexcusable excuse. That represents for this parable of Jesus' day is Jesus' day. In Jesus' day, Jesus is the supper. He shows up, he's ready to be the leader for the Jews who he was, they had invitations, they had notification from the prophets, the Messiah's coming. They had notifications from uh, several prophets in the Old Testament, and it's in print in their, their scriptures. So finally, the supper shows up. Jesus shows up. John the Baptist says, there he is. Come to him. And they basically, not all Jews rejected Jesus, but the, by and large, his nation rejected him. And they had excuses, inexcusable excuses, why they didn't accept him. And so here he is. And they don't accept it. So what, is, so what does God do? God does what this man in this parable does. The man in the parable goes to his servants, all right, let's go to the plan B. Get anybody. Go get the, the ones that are undesirable, the maimed and the blind and the halt and the, the, those limping around. Go grab them, bring them in. And they did. And they came back and he says, we did it, they're, they're in. But there's still room for this supper. There's still enough of this um, seating where people can enjoy this. So he says, all right, go out further. Highway, so that'd be, my impression is outside the city. And hedges, rural areas, get out there and find them and compel them, convince them, persuade them. Um, like I said, the salesman guy was genuinely convinced of what he had and it's passionately coming out. Compel them to get to this supper. And they, so they do it. And they go compel the other sorts, the unofficial people to come. That represents us. In Jesus' day, the, the invitees were the Jews. God had made promise to the Jews. He had told them, here, I'm coming for you. 
when he showed up, they didn't show up at the to, they didn't show up at supper time to have faith in Jesus, so to speak. So God says, all right, I go into the Gentiles. And so the apostles, you see this beginning to happen in the book of Acts. The apostles going beyond and uh, the people who had rejected Jesus and going to the rejected ones, the people that I don't want anything to do with, to us Gentiles, non-Jews, and even to literally undesirable people, literally blind, literally halt, literally the maimed, and literally the people that are way out on the edges of the uh, world. And that's where the early church went because Jesus said, like that master told his servants, get out there and find them and bring them here. So also Jesus said to his disciples and to us, it's still active today, to go to the regions beyond and compel them to come to have faith in me. And so there's that parable. And the parable kind of narrows down to that word. I mean, there's a lot of angles we could preach and teach it, but the word compel is compelling to me. And so God says, the Lord Jesus Christ says that we should compel. Um, how to be genuinely compelling. Let's go to the next slide. We looked at this. There's five, just five things I'd like to say, and it's probably in order of an, at least the first three or the top three. Um, care. It's, if I don't care about another person, it's hard to be compelling, you know, if I don't care. Um, I've realized that, I've realized that, I'm realizing that um, I could try to figure out ways of teaching the Bible to people, to my children, and, you know, showing that, XYZ is true to you, to my kids, and passionately teach it and all that. And, and I do my best to do that because I care for them. But I realize that sometimes if, if other people don't care about what's being said, then what does it matter? It's almost like this. I heard, um, it, it's like, I don't know if I'm getting off track a little bit. We just have, we have to care about others. We have to care about God's truth itself. Do I even care what God has to say? Do I care, for me, to me, do I care that God wants me to have compassion? God tells me to have compassion on, the, on some, have compassion. So I need to have compassion. I need to care for people. Um, the Bible talks about this. The Bible says, uh, charity is the greatest quality. Let all your things be done with charity. So I need to care. This man cares. Number two, the second thing is, in order for me to be compelling, that is, I want to compel somebody to come to Jesus or to come to the place where Jesus' word is going to be preached. Compel somebody to come to church. Compel somebody to come to Bible time. If I want to be compelling, it helps to communicate in person. Here's what I mean is this. Yes, send our texts. I send texts out. Yes, send your texts. Yes, use your tracks. Yes, use your emails. Yes, we'll have nice websites and Facebook pages. We've been working on ours. Uh, Yannick and I have been trying to refine it and do the best we can with it. We want to be compelling on those levels. But one of the best level of, com of, of com compelling is in person. You know, being in person, let a person feel your genuine, genuineness. And, uh, you know, the sound of your voice and your presence, that can be the most compelling thing. But we tend, to, we tend to hide from that because we're so used to these barriers of our media that we, we use as crutches. 
If you have something very, very important to ever to say somebody, say it to them in person. You know? And uh, so I, I was, you know, the last three or four weeks, we've had some visitors come. And it was good to have, like we're talking about the ladies' tea, it's been such a blessing to have some visitors and want to see some follow-up. Uh, but there's been uh, one that's come, and I remember uh, a couple that's come that, and, that I'm trying to follow up with, and I remember one of the Sundays, uh, one of the ladies, is right before the tea, one of the ladies, when, before the couple left, um, one of the ladies in the church kind of went up to her and said hi and, and met her and talked with her a little bit. And I was like, yes, I'm like seeing that, you know, try to connect and, and show kind of an in-face, uh, in-person uh, care. And I think she maybe even said something like, you going to the tea? He says, yeah, I signed up for it, or I'm about to. And I thought, that's great. I like seeing that kind of face-to-face communication. That helps a lot. Uh, Paul had talked about that in his epistle. He goes, I'm writing unto you this epistle, but I want to speak to you face-to-face to to some of these churches. It's interesting how that, you know, so the Great Commission, it's interesting how the Great Commission said, where he says, go into all the world, and preach the gospel to every creature. In, in a sense, I can, I can send the gospel into all the world through media, and that's, there's a, that's helpful. But it's interesting how it says, get into all the world. Go, put my location into all the world, and preach the gospel to every creature. The idea is, is that original form of communication that Jesus said to have is that in-person communication. And that's what we need to, to think about. Um, Communicate in person. A man that hath friends must show himself friendly. You know? Show yourself friendly, it says in Proverbs. Number three, the third thing of how to be compelling is be convinced of the claims of Christ yourself. Perhaps we could have said this for this first point. Be convinced of the claims of Christ for yourself. So here's Jesus says all these things in our Bible. The whole Bible is the Word of God, but in particular the things that Jesus is saying. And then he says, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Teach them all things whatsoever I've commanded you. You know, it's kind of hard to do that if you're not convinced of it yourself. It's like the vacuum cleaner salesman I told you about. There's no doubt that guy was convinced of that. Um, And I I would be surprised if he didn't have that vacuum cleaner in his own house. (laughs) You know, I'm like, this guy's convinced of this thing. Uh, we have to be convinced of the claims of Christ. What does Jesus claim? Jesus claims there is a real heaven. Jesus claims many times there's a real hell. Jesus claims that people are going to go to both places, and it looks like more to the latter, the hell. Jesus claims that he's the only way to get to the heaven. Jesus claims that um, you know, his doctrines, his truth, if you take it seriously and you believe it and act on it, it will act as a foundation for your life that can withstand any problem in life. The storms will come, but if you build on the things he's saying, your life will stand. He says at the end of his Sermon on the Mount. Those are outrageous claims. Do I believe what he's yeah. saying? If I don't believe what he's saying, I'm going to have difficulty trying to teach anybody else any of those things. The claims of Christ. Um, Mrs. One of our, in our Spanish ministry, Mrs. Olivia Sandoval, um, uh, her mom was, um, had, her mom's battling cancer right now, and uh, from New Mexico, her mom's here now, and um, 
over the last year, I think her mom's been battling cancer. Her name's uh, Livia. So pray for her. It's, it doesn't look like it's recoverable at this point without absent of a miracle. But she's living with them over there in Gilbert. And so uh, got to see her. In fact, she came to the ladies' tea. I think she sat over here. Well, there was some attachment to Mormonism on Olivia's mom's side. And Olivia is distinctly, definitely born again. We baptized her. In fact, baptized her when she was pregnant. Barely got the belly underwater, you know. <laughs> I mean, the little wave came up and covered that. And I, all right, we got it. And so uh, her and Enrique, Enrique's the, the youth leader for the Spanish ministry, are in the ministry doing well. And, um, but when I found out her mom has the cancer and it looks like it was non-recoverable, they were very, they would always talk to her mom, and I think even her sisters, about the Lord. And in and, and, and her reply, I'm not going to tell you everything, her reply is basically, you know, I'm embracing Mormonism. But once... Olivia had seen how her mom is and that this is, her time is definitely limited. It was like she really became more prayerful, more persistent in talking to her mom. And she did not relent on the doctrine of Jesus Christ. Well, you know, maybe it's just the same Jesus, not the same Jesus. Don't think it is. It's not. She did not. She says, Mom, this is the Jesus of the Bible I'm telling you about. And you have to repent. And it's your sins that he's taking care of all on, on his side, not on your side. And he makes you fit. And she was very clear and did not relent. Sometimes we're tempted to water down. Some, no. Mm -mm. If we seek to please men, we'll not be the servant of Christ, Galatians says. Woe unto me if I preach not the gospel, Paul said. And she did that. She held the gospel ground, and the mom came around, I think a month or two ago, and made a definite, a credible profession of faith, distinct from the Mormonism. And she's suffering right now, but she made a credible profession of faith. I'm very happy about that. And uh, Olivia was convinced of the claims of Christ, and she let that come out to, through her to her mother. And I think that helps the mother be... Okay, yes, this is, you know, our, con our conviction, the gospel and the God's truth is God's truth no matter what. But our showing our conviction genuinely helps it. It helps in our communicate, communicate it. It's, it communicate its validity, even though it's valid with or without me. It helps communicate it. A couple verses, 1 Corinthians 9, I quoted to you. Paul says, woe unto me if I preach not the gospel. Galatians 1, if I seek to please men, I should not be the servant of Christ. 2 Timothy, I think it's chapter 1, Paul says, I know whom I have believed and am persuaded, I am persuaded, that he is able to keep that which I have committed unto him against that day. Paul says, I know, I'm convinced whom I have believed and I'm persuaded. 2 Timothy says to, to, to Paul tells Timothy, you, Timothy, continue, even though it's going to be perilous times, Continue thou in the things which thou hast learned and hast been assured of, knowing of whom thou hast learned of them. We have to be assured of all these things. You come to church, you hear pastor teach, you hear the youth leaders teach and the children's teachers teach and your parents and all these other things, kids and teens. 
you have to be convinced. Hammer out, you have questions and doubts, it's okay to ask them respectfully. You have doubts, you can talk to somebody about that. I, 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 don't, I don't feel like a doubt is a threat to the Bible. I mean, the most intellectually honest people I've ever met in my life come to, the, come to Bible conclusions. The most intellectually honest people in my life come to the conclusions of major tenets of the Scripture. The Bible can stand those things. It still takes faith. But you have to be convinced of the claims of Christ. And so that house, if I'm convinced, then, man, I can convince others. Otherwise, I'm just, it's, it's not as, it won't be as effective. These next two points, a couple more points. How can I be compelling? These are kind of practical. Um, I got to keep myself decent. Okay? Um, <coughs> make sure I am. All right. Okay, right, I think. <laughs> um, you know, we can be very spiritual and yet have something that's repelling, you know. Okay, I got some deodorant on, you know. Put some, put some, uh, put some uh, uh, cologne on and everything like that. Wash my face, you know. You ever had somebody try to talk to you? They're talking to you and you see something on your face, their face, and you're like, I can't hear anything they're saying. <laughs> I think my, my, one of my sons, I think Gideon did that one time, and I was trying to tell Gideon, I was like, yeah, I to Gideon and he said something. He's just looking at me going. I'm like, man, he's listening pretty good. And then when I was done talking, he said I had something in my nose or something on my mouth. Or he, and I thought he didn't hear anything I said. You know? All right, let me go do this and go. All right, now kid, where was I? You know? You know, and you've been there, right? Okay, I got my gum, you know, somewhere. Got my other thing of gum somewhere. Put it under the pulpit. All right. You know, things like that, like, you know, the Bible says, <laughs> there's a proverb, it's like Proverbs uh, 27, 9 or something. Ointment and perfume rejoice the heart. Yeah, it does, doesn't it? I mean, you, hmm, well, good. Kind of has a little bit of a pleasantness to it. Hey, you know, my wife, I, you know, I like it with my, I like being my wife all the time, even if she just went on a, a walk and she's a little sweaty, but. She has some perfume. I'm like, mmm, I like that stuff. And that's why whenever I pick out cologne, I'm like, she's like, do you like this cologne? I'm like, do you like it? Because I want you to like it, you know? <laughs> so to be a little more compelling, come on over here. See that cologne? That's nice cologne right there. Just snuggle right here, you know? <laughs> so keeping ourselves decent in appearance and hygiene. Number five, for us as a church on a practical level, uh, keeping our facilities decent. Um, you know, we don't want to, you know, there's always something to fix. But the Bible talks about, in 1 Corinthians 15, have all things decently, done decently and in order. You know, I, there's always something dirty. There'll be always something dirty. But we want to try to keep it as clean as we can, orderly as we can. Um, we have an air conditioner. Yay, we have some water. We have sometimes have some coffee. There's some toilet paper in there in the... In the bathroom, that's good. It's, it should be clean, too. And uh, we want to keep them unplugged. We want to keep things decent. Sometimes people can get distracted by, I think, you know, like I'm, I'm, I'm even thinking right now, that post right in front of Jonathan, I'm like, i got to fix that. There's a couple little dings in the post. i got to fix the paint there. You know, I don't want that to be a distraction to Jonathan. In fact, uh, maybe he hasn't been listening. I'm going to preach this message again So and after I fix it, and you'll probably listen, right? I don't know. But, you know, just little things like that. Like, what? That's the whole point. The whole point of having something nice and clean is, you know, you want to you be undistracting to uh, what you're trying to do because I want to be compelling. Um, 
there were some things. I remember there was a camp we went to one time, and it, they had good preachers for the most part. But man, I'd walk around the camp, and I was like, ugh. This is just bugging me, this one clutter over here in this corner. Or you walk into a foyer to go into the camp auditorium, and you're like, why is that, you know, pile of towels there? In the, and it just, and I'm supposed to be spiritual and not care about that stuff, you know. But I'm like, can they take care of that? And then, you know, it's just, it's just certain things that I thought were a little bit distracting. And, uh, and it wouldn't take but maybe an hour or two to, to tend, tend, tidy it up so that you could pay attention during a service or something like that. And we try to do our best here, like that here, and so that we can be compelling uh, as a facility. So uh, how to be compelling. God says, they go out there, compel them to come in. This is a feast, and it's free. And so for us, as, as it relates to Jesus, come trust Jesus Christ. He's free to the soul. And what you take of Him has eternal benefits Come to our church. You know, we're not perfect, but come. Be among friendly people. We have an honest Bible message, decent music, pleasant instrumentals. Come to that. It's good for the soul. That's what we're trying to be compelling. That's what we want. Why don't we use carnal methods of compelling? You know, carnal things like, you know, making it a, a mere show. Come hear the, the, the comic or some some other crazy thing or whatever. We want to we make it where it's, a, where it's something that's, not, nothing intrinsically evil, but something that's pleasant that we compel to, but it's ultimately bringing people to Jesus. So uh, think about people who you can talk to. Think about people whom you can write. Think about people. Write it down, maybe. Um, and um, one of the things I want to close with this thought, it's at, the, it's at the back of the book of Mark. Let's just do this and we'll close here. Mark 16. And I was thinking, I've been thinking about this verse lately. Mark 16. So Jesus gave the Great Commission, and then in verse, Mark 16, verse 19 and 20, what it says, verse 19 and 20, So then after the Lord had spoken unto them, He was received up into heaven and sat on the right hand of God. And this is a description, I think, is of, of what happened in the early church. They went forth and preached everywhere, the Lord working with them and confirming the word with signs following. They had that benefit of those first century sign gifts. You know, there were some miracles done, not through every single Christian, but for some of the Christians, some of the leaders, there were some moments where the tongues were manifested, particularly as a sign to the Jews. There were some moments where people were healed. There were some times where some people were raised from the dead, particularly through Peter and, and things like that, confirming it with signs. But I like that phrase in the middle. They went forth everywhere. And preached, they went forth and preached everywhere. Look at that next phrase, the Lord working with them. Don't you like that? The Lord working with them. This is what I like, is whatever we're teaching about going to do anything, as it relates to uh, Christian ministry, the gospel work, teaching in a church or trying to witness, the Lord working with them. I think that's still true. The Lord works with us. I want the Lord to work with me. I don't want to be alone. Even 1 Corinthians, is like 2 or 3, it says that, you know, we are laborers together with God, not alone. I like that. Jesus, even when He gave the Great Commission in Matthew 28, He says, Lo, I'm with you always, the Lord working with them. Um, I want, that's what we want to see. Um, 
as I tried to talk to somebody, Lord, work with me. And then in, in, in the other way, Lord, I want to work with you. Are you putting something on my heart? Oh, you, need to, you want me to invite uh, this person, like right this next week? He's impressing on my heart. Okay, I'm going to work with you, Lord. The Lord working with them. That's what I like. The question is, the Lord will work with us. Will we work with him?